for the first time at the CSW, member states are going to take up the issue of technology and innovation in our lives and its effect both positively and negatively on gender equality. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The Annual Commission on the Status of Women, CSW, is the second largest diplomatic gathering at the United Nations each year after the General Assembly in September. Thousands of delegates from hundreds of countries come to UN headquarters in New York in what is the major moment on the diplomatic calendar centered on the promotion of gender equality and the empowerment of women. The event kicks off on March 6th this year, and joining me to preview what will drive the agenda at the 67th Commission on the Status of Women is Michelle Milford Morse. Vice President for Girls and Women Strategy at the United Nations Foundation. We kick off discussing the key themes that will be on the agenda this year, and then have a conversation about broader geopolitical trends that will be informing the debate. We also discuss why 2023 is a key inflection point for a UN initiative called Generation Equality. CSW is one of those major annual events that typically does not receive, in my opinion, the kind of media attention, at least in the Western press, that it deserves. So I am glad, as always, to bring you this in-depth conversation previewing what to expect from CSW 67 in New York this year. And here is my conversation with Michelle Milford Morse of the United Nations Foundation. Is there a specific theme that will drive the conversation at CSW this year? Yes, indeed. And in fact, it's the first time the Commission on the Status of Women is going to take up this issue. The priority theme this year is innovation and technological change and education in the digital age for achieving gender equality and the empowerment of all women and girls. <laughs> the priority themes always have a really long name, but for the first time at the CSW, Member states are going to take up the issue of technology and innovation in our lives and its effect both positively and negatively on gender equality. And what does it mean that member states will take up that issue? 
Well, I think it means a lot of interesting things. And I expect the negotiations to be extensive because there's a lack of previously agreed language, which is not true for a lot of the issues, economic, social, or health-wise, that have been debated by the CSW previously, and because technology keeps evolving. So specific areas that they are going to negotiate include closing the digital gender divide or financing for gender-inclusive digital services and transformation. They're going to talk about gender-responsive STEM education, the participation and leadership of women in technology, gender-responsive tech design, like our technology tools and services designed for everybody. They're also going to talk about transparency, accountability in the digital age, data science for gender equality, and then very importantly, they're going to talk about online gender-based violence. And I think previously, a lot of the conversations about girls and women and technology, it begins and ends with more STEM education, reskilling, teach them to code. And sure, that's great. But it's also wholly insufficient if you think about the ways in which the digital transformation is creating a seismic shift in all of our lives, how the digital technologies are rapidly transforming our societies. And it hasn't always been done with girls and women's lives and their needs in mind. And in many ways, they're being left behind. So I think member states are going to show up needing to talk about all of those things and then negotiate those things. And they're not going to be able to rely upon established language from the past. And they're also going to be debating something that, as I said, is rapidly evolving every day. So I take it then that what this CSW is trying to do is address like systemic issues around digital inclusion of women and girls, not just like, you know, more STEM education, but, you know, how do you design whole technological systems in ways that put women and girls at the forefront? Are there specific outcomes that we might expect from this CSW to that end? Well, it remains to be seen. I'm, <laughs> I'll be as eager as you are <laughs> to see where the agreed conclusions land. But I really like where you started that question. I think it's at the heart of what we should expect. Yes, this is about systems. It's not just about the kind of gauzy terms of empowerment and innovation, but instead, what kind of inclusive, holistic, rights-based agenda can we get at that will topple the kind of exclusion and harm that many girls and women rightly associate with technology and innovation? Like how high can we put the ambition here? You know, I was reading, the Secretary General always puts out a pre-CSW report and I was looking at it and I felt like the SG put it right. I mean, on one hand, this digital transformation in our century is allowing for unprecedented advances that can improve all kinds of outcomes, social outcomes, economic outcomes, but it's also giving rise to these profound new challenges that may perpetuate and deepen existing patterns of gender inequalities. Like think about the use of AI or think about the use of deep fakes or think about the ability for technology to be used to perpetuate violence against women. So there's this kind of, we already had these structural and systemic barriers, which you know a lot about, right? So gaps in legal protection, political engagement, economic opportunity, education, safety, and health. And you layer on top of that a digital transformation that girls and women don't have full access to or understanding of or the ability to shape. So governments are going to show up to get to the heart of some of that, which is 
complicated. And I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what comes out of that. But the topics that I was mentioning, everything from participation and leadership and design and access, those are the things that member states are going to be debating over those two weeks in March. So if this were a different topic, one that's been debated extensively before at the UN and at CSW in particular, say around like sexual and reproductive health, you would sort of know where certain countries stand, like certain countries in the Middle East, certain countries in Africa and the Holy See. And if it's a Republican administration, the United States tend to take perhaps more conservative stances on these questions, whereas other countries tend to be more progressive but this is kind of like a, a brand new territory. Yeah. Have you seen any like political or diplomatic divides suggesting what some of like the key points of contention might be in this debate? Yeah, it's an open landscape on this one, as you suggest. It's uncharted territory, but it brings with it some old baggage for sure. One of the things I know that member states and other advocates are discussing is the idea of gender itself, right? We use the term gender-based violence. And there are some more regressive countries that are using that term to not engage at all in discussions about the reality of the violence that girls and women experience online because they use gender, willfully misconstrue the kind of concept of gender as being more about LGBTQI rights and about trans rights, and they are misconstruing that to opt out of a debate about online violence against girls and women and all the diversity, and in fact, against people. It's a human rights violation. So even though it's uncharted territory, Mark, I think you can expect some governments to bring some of their old baggage with them, because even if we want to assess technology and innovation as being unpolitical spaces, they are deeply political, and we are layering on top of that gender equality and girls and women's rights, which are entirely political. So as someone who's not only like a disinterested observer of what's happening <laughs> at CSW this year, but an advocate for inclusion and gender equality, what are you looking to see come out of this CSW in terms of technological access and in closing the digital divide? Is there like a specific like maximalist outcome that you'd be looking towards? At the heart of it, I want inclusion and I want rights at the heart of it. So let's move away from that kind of framework of empowerment and this all rests in kind of girls getting education and technology in school. We have to do that. But I want us to move more to a framework of rights, rights and inclusion, a really, really serious debate about online spaces and violence against women, a really, really serious debate about making sure that women have leadership positions when it comes to making decisions about transparency, data accountability, law, all of those things, that I hope that we take all of that really seriously and that we stop seeing this as being issues that are wholly separate from gender equality, but actually deeply, deeply related to the fates and futures of women and countries and their political ambitions, their ability to participate in economies, their ability to be a full part of society. That's maximalist for sure, but it's what I want. I think it is within our grasp if we take these issues really seriously. So speaking of women's political inclusion, CSW made some headlines late last year in December when the United States organized this diplomatic effort to 
secure a vote at the Economic and Social Council at the UN, which is like the overseeing body of CSW, to remove Iran from CSW. I don't recall him covering the UN for as long as I have that such a vote had been taken at least in the last you know 20 years or so I've been following these things. What's your take on that decision by the United States and you know supported by a sufficient number of other countries to boot Iran from CSW? Well, in that case too, as long as you've been watching the UN, you haven't seen that happen. That's because it was truly unprecedented. <laughs> it wasn't just you. In fact, it was a truly unprecedented decision adopted by ECOSOC. Yeah, you're right. December 14th. And I'm guessing your listeners know, but ECOSOC is the UN Economic and Social Council. There's 54 members. The U.S. introduced this resolution and it received, I recall, I think there were 29 votes in favor, eight against and 16 abstaining, I recall. So the ECOSOC elects then the 45 members to the Commission on the Status of Women. And they do that in secret ballots and they come from the UN's five regional blocks. Now, it is very, very rare for that decision to be overturned. So Iran getting expelled from the CSW was indeed unprecedented. And the resolution succeeded. And some reporting at the time noted that countries might be uncomfortable about this unusual action. My take on it, though, is that it did show the concern about women's rights and the lives of girls and women in Iran was really widespread, so widespread that it reached this you know, UN commission. And that felt appropriate. That felt like a victory for girls and women's rights, which you know, are deeply threatened in every region of the world. Every reliable data source tells us so. So I think it was an important victory for women's rights. So I do think that that vote underscores that CSW does not happen in like a vacuum. It's not immune from broader geopolitics and geopolitical trends. And so I'm curious to learn from you, you know, as we start this CSW over one year since Russia invaded Ukraine, if you have seen any ripple effects from that very seismic geopolitical events, is that impacting in one way or another discussions at CSW or is just the nature of the conversation this year, at least somewhat insulated from that? No, I would say it's not. Listen, (laughs) when it comes to gender equality, I mean, there's a lot to be worried about. And there are a lot of days that are pretty tough. But even on our toughest days, we do have some global solidarity that is deeply, deeply inspiring. And I think the invasion of Ukraine and what is happening in Iran gives us both examples of that and then also is a reminder that gender equality is part of geopolitics and vice versa. Two examples, by the way, the Ukraine Solidarity Campaign, they have a feminist initiative group and they wrote a statement by Ukrainian feminists in solidarity with Iranian women. And last you know, year ago on International Women's Day, the chair of the Women's Committee, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, they put forth a statement supporting Ukrainian women. So the solidarity is really, really inspiring. And and no, I don't think that those things are insulated by global politics. But two things I do think that we are seeing is, on one hand, gender equality is invoked in those things, in the geopolitics that are discussed at the UN and beyond, but it's also like not enough. And also often in the wrong way. 
So, you know, I said that gender equality is political, and that's because it's about women having equal social, political, and economic power. Like, it is political. And so we see it, I think, affecting all kinds of intergovernmental negotiations among states because the fates and futures of half our human family are, are always there. Even given that, I don't think there's enough attention being paid to violence, women, peace and security, the effects of climate change on women, the way that women are sometimes excluded from negotiations on climate change. So I think it's always there, Mark, but I continue to be dismayed that I don't think that it's there enough. But I was thinking this morning, you and I talked about Ukraine a year ago. I think the hopeful part of my personality hope we wouldn't be talking about it a year later. But I'm glad I am because of the extent to which the invasion of Ukraine has deeply affected a lot of women there in the country. So this CSW also happens at around the halfway mark for something called generation equality, which was this major push by the United Nations to create momentum towards irreversible progress towards generation equality. And it was a 2021 meeting. And the progress is supposed to have been achieved by 2026. So here we are in 2023, the halfway point. Can you explain what was the motivation initially in creating generation equality? And where are we at that midpoint? And how will CSW inform progress towards this key UN initiative? Yeah, absolutely. So in 1995, the world gathered for the Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing, this incredible moment for women's rights, kind of considered still the biggest gathering at that time for women's rights, and certainly a high water mark for the women's movement. It resulted in a platform of, of action. 189 member states signed on to the Beijing Declaration. So it was a really important moment globally for women's rights. And it's the moment that most people remember then First Lady Hillary Clinton saying women's rights are human rights and human rights are women's rights now and forever. And so the year 2020, of course, would have marked the 25th anniversary of Beijing. But of course, everybody knows we were all in the midst of a global pandemic by the time that anniversary rolled around. In addition to that, there was a lot of fear and a lot of concern that we couldn't have a fifth world conference on women because we couldn't get the now 193 member states to again agree to the same rights that they had agreed to in 1995. And in fact, by all kinds of measures, all kinds of data tells us that women have less equality in many places of the world than they did in 1995. And no less than you know, the, the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, said we couldn't get those countries to sign the platform of action again now. But that did not mean that we should leave that moment unacknowledged, uncelebrated, or certainly that we shouldn't use the anniversary to push for more. UN Women, with their co-hosts or co-sponsors, the governments of Mexico and France, gave life to the Generation Equality Forum and its movement. Because of the pandemic, the big events for that happened in Mexico in March of 2021 and in France in June of 2021. And what was dazzling to me about that moment is that the model that you and women and those governments and just kind of a parade of philanthropic civil society and private sector activists of all kinds, the beauty of it was that they organized themselves around these action coalitions 
organized around six really key themes that affect girls and women's lives and affect gender equality and pioneered what is a really unique form of inclusive, networked, feminist, multilateral action. So international organizations working out a blueprint with youth organizations, with grass-led movements, with governments, with philanthropies, with private sector leaders to come up with a blueprint for the future, a blueprint for gender equality. And in Paris in 2021, the commitments that were generated for generation equality totaled just more than $40 billion in pledged commitments. Now, that's more than gender equality ever gets in, in one day. It's also less than half of what the world spends on candy every year. So it's both an amazing number, but it's also completely insufficient to what gender equality needs. And so we need to push further and faster towards commitments to gender equality and to realizing them as well. So that was the moment in 2021. This fall in September in 2023, we'll have the half point moment of the Generation Equality Forum movement because it's a five-year project that is being organized by UN Women. So we'll have the half point in September. I'm really pleased to say that Tanzania has signed on to be a co-host in September, and there will be an announcement of another co-host in the coming weeks. But it is a really important moment. It will take place during the midpoint moment for the SDGs as well. The SDGs being incredibly relevant to women and girls and their rights and their futures. So look out for September. There's going to be a lot that's happening in September and, and all of it will be really important. And presumably in September, countries, governments, civil society organizations, private sector groups that all participated in that initial pledging moment back in 2021 will have to demonstrate to their peers that they have actually <laughs> turned those pledges into actual commitments? Absolutely. There are some really interesting efforts underway now to continue to account for those commitments, to hold ambition high, to keep the pressure on. UN Women has put online a beautiful map where you can see where all the commitments came from, which commit, who committed to which action coalitions, what those commitments were. Absolutely. The accountability matters so much. And at the same time, we need to crowd in more commitment makers. We need to keep ambition high and keep making the tent bigger and bringing more and more people in and to show the world gender inequality doesn't have to be inevitable. We don't have to tolerate it. It doesn't have to be the way the world operates. We can have a fairer and freer future for everybody and we can crowd in more actors and we can get this done. Uh, well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time and good luck at CSW this year. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. 
please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>